On this episode of the Blue Jacketeer podcast, we will be covering Chapter 6 of the Corman Manual. Welcome to the Blue Jacketeer podcast, where we help you prepare for the Navy-wide advancement exam by covering study material created by highly qualified sailors. Learn more about what we have to offer at www.bluejacketeer.com. Hello, and welcome back to the bluejacketeer.com podcast for hospital corpsmen. Again, I'm Alex Lemock. On this episode, we will continue with the hospital corpsman manual, covering chapter 6, part 1. Be sure to pay attention, because on the next episode, you will be quizzed on what you learned today. Without further delay, let's get started. As always, sit back, take off your blousing straps, kick up your feet, and listen up. This is part 1 for chapter 6 of the hospital corpsman manual. Human Anatomy and Physiology. In this lesson, we will begin to explore the core of what a hospital corpsman needs to know. Understanding the basics of anatomy and physiology is essential in evaluating a patient and the proper diagnosis of their illness and injury. This chapter briefly explains the components and workings of body systems. It also gives information on ways of describing the human body when talking to other medical professionals or documenting care. To better understand and to give a basis of what we're learning, Let's start by defining the terms anatomy and physiology. Anatomy is defined as the study of a body structure and the relation of one part to another. Physiology is the study of how the body works and how parts function individually and in relation to each other. Now that we know what this chapter is about, let's get into some terms associated with positions and direction. There are three planes of the body, which are indicated by imaginary lines that divide the body into sections. These sections are used as reference points. The three planes are sagittal, which divides the body into right and left halves on a vertical axis, frontal, also known as coronal, which divides the body into anterior and posterior, or front and back, and transverse, also known as horizontal, which divides the body into superior and inferior, or upper and lower sections. When using these planes, as well as describing the location in the body using anatomical terms, it is important to always reference the patient in terms of the anatomical position. This position is the body looking straight forward with the arms and hands to the side and the palms facing forward, thumbs facing out. This position is used to ensure a universal understanding of the anatomical terms. A few of the common anatomical terms are described now. Anterior, or ventral, references the front of the anatomical position as you are looking at it. For ease, it is the belly side of the patient. Posterior or dorsal is the back of the patient. Looking at the anatomical position, you are unable to see the posterior aspect. Medial and lateral are terms to describe near and far from the midline, which is the line drawn straight down the body, creating equal halves. Medial is closer to the midline, where lateral is further away. Proximal and distal refer to describing an area that is closer or further from a point of origin. Superior and inferior refer to the upper and lower portions of the body. Towards the top of the head would be superior, and towards the feet would be inferior. Supine and prone are terms to describe the body when it is laying down. Supine is facing up, or laying on the back, and prone is facing down, laying on the stomach. Accompanying supine and prone is the lateral recumbent, meaning laying on one side. This can be further described as the left or the right lateral recumbent. Now that we have talked about how to describe the body, let's get into the most basic structure and move on from there. To begin this, let's talk about the characteristics of living matter. All living things, 
animals, and plants are organisms and undergo chemical processes by which they sustain life and regenerate cells. However, there are a few differences when it relates to a plant cell versus an animal cell, and also in the basic needs of those two organisms. For this chapter, since we are talking about the human body, we will focus on the animal cell. Before we can get fully into the cell, let's touch on some of the characteristic functions necessary for man to survive. These functions include digestion, metabolism, and homeostasis. Breaking down each one of these will show how they relate together. Digestion is the physical and chemical breakdown of food into its simplest form. Metabolism is the process of absorption, storage, and use of food that is brought in for other body functions, such as growth, maintenance, and repair. Homeostasis is described as a constant balance in the body. This is accomplished by systems working together in unison for self-regulation of the internal environment of the body. The human body is broken down into various levels of organization. This includes the chemical, organelle, cellular, tissue, organ, organ system, and organism levels. This outline of levels is from the smallest level to the largest. Under the chemical level, there are more than 100 different chemical building blocks of nature called atoms. All living things in the universe are composed of atoms, including the human body. Organelles consist of a chemical structure organized within larger units or cells to perform a specific function. A cell consists of many organelles, which function to give the cell life. On the cellular level, the smallest and most numerous structure of the living human matter is the cell. These specialized units perform numerous functions throughout the body. The next level is the tissue level. This level is made up of many similar cells and also performs specific functions in the body depending on their type. The organ level is defined as a structure made up of several different types of tissue that are arranged so that together they bind to perform a specific function. Each organ is unique in size, shape, and function. The most complex of the organizational levels is the system. There are 11 systems in the human body, each made up of different organs that work together in unison for a specific function. The last level, the organism level, is the human body. It is made up of 11 systems that are made up to work together to allow the organism to survive. An organism is able to survive in hostile environments and also has the ability to reproduce and repair its damaged parts. Now that we know the structural units of the human body from smallest to largest, we can dive deeper into the one of the most important levels, the level that is the smallest and most numerous structural unit that possesses and exhibits the basic characteristics of human life, the cell. A typical cell is made up of a plasma membrane, nucleus, and the cytoplasm. Inside the cytoplasm, there are many organelles that help the cell function. The plasma membrane is a selectively permeable membrane surrounding the cell which controls the flow into and out of the cell through various methods. It allows products in and out for nutrition and the removal of waste products. One of these is the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide by a process known as diffusion, or the movement of substances from an area of high concentration to low concentration. The nucleus of the cell is a small, dense, usually spherical body that controls the chemical reactions occurring inside the cell. Inside the nucleus is nucleoplasm. The nucleus also plays a major role in cell reproduction as the 46 chromosomes of genetic material are stored here. A gelatinous substance surrounding the nucleus, also contained by the cell membrane, is the cytoplasm. The cytoplasm is made up of various organelles 
or little organs, inside the cell, as well as other molecules. They are suspended in a watery substance called cytosol. Cells of the human body vary by size, shape, and number of nuclei. This is because cells in the human body are highly specialized to perform specific functions throughout the body. Knowing the basic unit of the body, the cell, we can begin to move up to other important structures that make up the specialized cells and work together for other common functions. Next, we will cover tissues of the human body. Tissues are classified into four main groups, epithelial, connective, muscular, and nervous. Let's go over each one in greater detail. Epithelial tissue is considered the lining tissue of the body. It forms the outer covering of the body known as the free surface of the skin. Also, it forms the lining of the digestive, respiratory, urinary tracts, blood and lymph vessels, and serous cavities. This type of tissue is classified according to its shape, arrangement, and function of its cells. Simple refers to the tissue with a single layer, whereas stratified refers to multiple layers. The three categories of epithelial cells are columnar, squamous, and cuboidal. The next type of tissue is known as connective tissue. This is the supporting tissue of various structures of the body. It is the most widespread tissue of the body. It is highly vascular, surrounds other cells, encases internal organs, sheaths muscles, wraps bones, encloses joints, and provides supporting framework for the body. It is composed of cells and extracellular material. Because of this, connective tissue has varying amounts of elasticity and strength depending on its type and location. The three types of connective tissue are areolar, adipose, and osseous. Muscular tissue provides for all body movement. This is because contracting muscles causes body parts to move. There are three types of muscular tissue, all with very different functions. They are skeletal, smooth, and cardiac. Skeletal muscular tissue is voluntary. It is usually attached to bones and can be moved at will. Smooth muscular tissue is involuntary and is found in the walls of hollow organs. It is responsible for functions such as the movement of food through the digestive tract and is not under control at will, unlike skeletal tissue. Cardiac muscle tissue is found only in the heart and is striated, joining end to end to form a complex network of interlocking cells. The last type of tissue is known as nervous tissue. It is the most complex tissue in the human body and it is structures of the brain, spinal cord, and nerves. It requires more oxygen and nutrients than the other tissues, and its basic cell is known as the neuron. So far we have covered the planes of the body, some basic anatomical terms, and the structures of the body, including the cell and various tissues that make it up. Continuing to build larger and larger, we will now begin our coverage of the 11 systems, beginning with the largest of all, the integumentary system. An organ system as we know it is a collection of cells that make up tissues that form organs, further joining other organs with a specific function, thus forming an organ system. The integumentary system is primarily made up of the skin, which acts with hair follicles, sebaceous glands, and sweat glands to form the system. Skin is mainly what you observe on a human. It covers almost every visible surface, and its main role is to protect the underlying structures from injury and invasion by foreign organisms. It also plays a major role in regulating body temperature and preventing excess water loss. It consists of two layers, the dermis and the epidermis, and other supporting structures and appendages. The epidermis 
is the outer visible layer of the skin. It is made up of epithelial cells and contains five sublayers. Below the epidermis is the dermis, also known as the true skin. It is a wide area of connective tissue and contains blood vessels, nerve fibers, smooth muscle, and appendages. Inside the dermis, the blood vessels are able to dilate to contain a significant portion of the body's blood supply. Along with the action of the sweat glands, these two actions form the body's primary temperature regulation mechanisms. The two nerve fibers containing the skin are motor and sensory. These nerves carry impulses to and from the central nervous system. The motor nerves carry impulses to the dermal muscles and glands, while the sensory nerves carry impulses from sensory receptors. However, both sensory and motor nerve fibers send messages about the external environment to the brain. Smooth muscles inside the dermis play a role by altering the skin surface size depending on the environment. When dilated, they allow for maximum skin surface exposure, aiding in heat loss. While constricted, the skin surface is decreased, inhibiting the amount of heat radiation. When these muscles contract rapidly, shivering occurs, creating rapid body heat. The appendages of the system are composed of nails, hair, sebaceous glands, sweat glands, and ceruminous glands, all with their own function. They join the other components of the system for one common goal, ensuring the function of the integumentary system. The next system is my personal favorite, the skeletal system. The skeleton, which is considered the framework of the body, is composed of 206 bones. Its main function is to give the body its shape, protect vital organs, and provide a site for the attachment of tendons, muscles, and ligaments. It works closely with muscles to provide support and movement to the human body. The study of the structure of bones is known as osteology. Bones are made up of various organic and inorganic compounds. The most prevalent is the inorganic mineral salts, calcium and phosphorus, which give the bones its strength and hardness, as well as the organic substance called osseum. Bones themselves are living, highly vascular tissue, they contain a hard outer shell called compact bone and an inner spongy porous portion called cancellous tissue. The center of the bone is a medullary canal, which contains its marrow, in two forms, yellow and red. Yellow bone marrow is found in the medullary canals and cancellous tissue of long bones and is where fat cells predominate. Red bone marrow is found in the articular ends of long bones and in cancellous tissue and is one of the manufacturing centers of red blood cells. As with everything else, there are different areas to a bone, each having its own name. At the end of each long bone is the articular cartilage. It is a smooth, glossy tissue that forms the joint surfaces and assists with articulation or movement inside the joints. The most outer membrane of the bone is known as the periosteum. Its major role is to apply nourishment to the living bone. This is accomplished through the capillaries and blood vessels that run through the periosteum and into the bone. It is also the pain center of the bone, and also forms new bone at such time as a fracture. The shaft or long portion of the bone is known as the diaphysis, and the ends of each bone is known as the epiphysis. Because there are many different types of bones in the body, in multiple shapes and sizes, they must be classified for ease of identification. The four bone classifications are arranged by shape. They are long bones, short bones, flat bones, and irregular bones. Now that we covered a little bit more about the bones, including their purpose, components, characteristics, and classifications, we can move on to the division of the skeleton. The human skeleton is broken down into two main divisions, known as the axial and appendicular skeleton. 
This breaks down simply as the axial skeleton, being composed of the bones of the skull and spinal column, including the ribs, and the appendicular skeleton, which is the bones of the arms and legs, or appendages. Looking further at the axial skeleton, we know that starting from the top, the skull is composed of many bones. In fact, it contains 28 bones alone, 22 of those being the framework of the head and providing protection from the brain, eyes, and ears, the other six bones contained in the ears. With the exception of these six bones and the lower jawbone, known as the mandible, all bones of the skull are connected. The bones of the face are formed mostly by sutures or seams. They are further divided into cranial and facial bones. The next section of the axial skeleton is the vertebral column, or spinal column. It consists of 24 movable or true vertebrae, the sacrum and the coccyx. Like the other bones of the body, the vertebral bones protect, in this case, the spinal cord. The spinal cord itself passes through the vertebral foramen, a hole directly behind the body of the vertebrae. Due to its size and location, the spinal column is divided into five regions. Let's cover each one of these and the number of vertebrae contained in each. Starting from the top is the cervical vertebrae. It makes up the posterior neck and consists of seven individual bones, including the atlas, or first bone, and axis, the second bone in the division. The two vertebrae are unique as they are the only two vertebral bones that have names, while all others are numbered. The next division is the thoracic, or chest vertebrae. This division consists of 12 bones and articulate with the posterior portion of the 12 ribs, forming the posterior wall of the thorax. Moving down to the third division is the five lumbar vertebrae. They are larger and stronger segments of the vertebral column and are located in the small of the back, or lower back. The final division of the spinal column is the sacrum and coccyx. The sacrum is formed by five bones that are fused together and combined with the coccyx to form the posterior wall of the pelvis. The coccyx is made up of three to five fused bones and is connected to the sacrum by joints. A good way to remember the number of bones of the vertebrae is by thinking of meal times. The cervical division is the first division and can be correlated to the first meal of the day, breakfast, which is usually eaten around seven. The second division is a thoracic division related to the second meal of the day, lunch, usually eaten at 12. The third division is related to the third meal of the day, dinner, which is the lumbar, and can be correlated to being eaten at five. The last two divisions, the sacrum and the coccyx, which are fused together with five bones for the sacrum and three to five for the coccyx, can be added together for an average number of nine, which is when you could relate a late night snack. The last segment of the axial skeleton is the thorax. It is a cone-shaped bony cage that is made up of 12 ribs. The first sets of ribs are joined to the manubrium, a flat bone atop the sternum. The first seven sets of ribs are known as true ribs, while the remaining five are known as false ribs. True ribs join directly to the sternum, while false ribs are joined by cartilage and to the rib above. There are also floating ribs, which are not joined to the sternum at all. A breakdown of the ribs and their classifications are ribs 1 through 7, known as true ribs and connect directly to the sternum, ribs 8 through 10, known as false ribs because their cartilage does not meet the sternum, like ribs 1 through 7, and ribs 11 and 12, also known as false ribs, but better classified as floating ribs because they do not join to the sternum at all. The sternum itself is an irregular flat bone that forms the upper half of the middle portion of the chest wall. It is made up of the manubrium at its superior aspect and the xiphoid process at its inferior aspect. The second division of the skeleton is known as the appendicular skeleton and consists of the bones of the upper and lower extremities, or arms and legs. 
The upper extremities consist of the bones of the shoulder, arm, forearm, wrist, and hand, and the lower extremity includes the bones of the hip, thigh, leg, ankle, and foot. Continuing on with the skeletal system, where two or more bones come together, a joint is formed. These joints allow for bones to interwork with skeletal muscles, allowing for movement. Like bones, joints are also classified. However, unlike bones that are classified by shape, joints are organized by the amount of movement they permit. There are three joint classifications. Immovable, or synarthrosis, slightly movable, or amphothrosis, and freely movable, or diathrosis. Since most joints of the body are freely movable, they are further broken down into six classifications. Ball and socket, condyloid, gliding, hinge, pivot, and saddle. Ligaments are employed to keep joints together. They reach across the joint from bone to bone to keep joints stable. When there is an injury to a ligament, it is known as a sprain. If a ligament allows a bone to slip out of its intended location, it is known as a dislocation. A bone that moves out of place but freely moves back into place is known as a subluxation. There are four types of movements associated with joints. They are gliding, angular, rotation, and circumduction. Gliding is the simplest of the movements and is accomplished when one surface moves over another without any rotary or angular motion. Angular motion changes the location of two adjoining bones by increasing or decreasing the angle between them. These motions include flexion or bending, extension, straightening or unbending, abduction or abduction, the movement away from the body, and adduction, the movement towards the body. Rotation is movement in which the bone moves around a central point without being displaced, and circumduction is the movement associated with the hips and the shoulders. Other types of joint movements include supination, or turning upwards, like placing the palm of the hand up. Relate this to carrying soup to help you remember. Pronation, or turning downwards, placing the palm of the hand down or sole of the foot to the outside. You can relate pronate to pro, because the movement is the same as if a pro athlete is going to show off his ring. Inversion, turning inwards, and eversion, turning outwards. Inversion and eversion are common terms used to describe ankle injuries. A special type of joint is a temporal mandibular joint, or simply TMJ. There are two located on each side of the face where the temporal bone and the mandible articulate. The mandible is joined to the cranium by the ligaments of the TM joint. The TM joint consists of three bony parts, the glenoid fossa, an oval depression in the temporal bone, the articular eminence, a ramp-shaped segment of the temporal bone, and the condyle, the knuckle-shaped portion of the mandibular ramus found at the end of the condyloid process. That's all we have for this episode of the Blue Jacketeer podcast for Hospital Corman. Please tune in next time as we continue with part two of chapter six and begin with covering the muscular system. Also, don't forget to check out our quiz episode for part one, where you'll be quizzed over what you learned so far. As always, I'm Alex Lemock saying thanks for listening. <laughs>